Wow, aren't you glad that grave's empty? Yeah. Man. You know, I'm glad it's empty every Sunday, actually. Every day. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's empty all the time. Hey, so we're going to do a, we're going to still sing a little bit, but um, we've been in a series in our church about praise and worship. Has anyone here been enjoying that about worship, learning about worship? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right, thanks, T. I'm glad you're excited about that. Uh, so I was, as I was preparing at Easter, you know, Easter is this, you know, it's a big celebration, right? You know, it's exciting. It's a remembrance of what God's done. It's a celebration time. And so I was like, all right, Lord, you know, I got to do, we got to do something different. We got to maybe take a break from the worship series and maybe, you know, talk about the, you know, what you hear every Easter, you know, the death and resurrection and the tomb and the empty grave and all the cool things about Easter. And the Holy Spirit just quickened me and said, why do you need to take a break from worship? I said, well, we don't. What do you mean? He's like, well, the whole Easter story is really in praise and worship. Did you know that? And I'm, yeah, what do you mean? He's like, well, go back and look at the words that you've been talking about with the church the last, what, five, six weeks. And as you do that, I want you to see Christ in the resurrection. I said, okay, Lord, let's do that. So, you know, I started thinking about, okay, we're doing this worship series, and it's really about God changing our hearts, right? It's about a process of getting close to Jesus. The Bible says that the eternal life is that we might know him. God's whole plan, the reason he sent Christ, the reason God sent his only begotten son to live on this earth and live a perfect life and then die was to not just save us from our sins, not just give us an eternal home in heaven, not free us up from the bondage of hell that destroys lives. He did all those, but that's not the ultimate reason why. He ultimately did that and sent his son so that he could have a personal relationship with you and me. Amen. That's the truth of Easter. The truth is, is that God himself, through his son Christ, wants to have an intimate, personal, talking relationship with you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on, church. Listen to this. God wants to talk with you every day. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants to help you and give you direction. He wants to comfort you. He wants to help you get and overcome sin. God wants you to be an overcomer. And he's given you everything the Bible says. He's given us everything you need for life and godliness. God has given you through Christ. Did you know that? So if you're ever at the point where you think you can't do it, or you don't have enough strength, you got to remember that. God, you said that through Jesus Christ, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Everything I need for my physical life and everything I need for my spiritual life, I have through Christ. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. And the death was a payment for that so we could have that. You know, the most natural response to the resurrection, if you think about it, is praise, right? I mean, really, it's not the Easter bunny, you know, it's not eggs, it's not all that stuff. It's not even really just attending a church service. The most natural, obvious response to the resurrection of the Son of God, uh, oh, and by the way, because he's resurrected, now everyone that believes in him will be resurrected as well. 
so that when you die, it's not your final death. It's the beginning of your eternal life. It's the beginning of life evermore. When you trust Christ and believe in him and put your faith in him, it is the beginning, the beginning of your eternity with God. Amen? And because he resurrected, so can we. So the natural response to such great news and such great joy, wouldn't it be a little excitement? Okay, wouldn't it be that our, our bodies and, our, and the way we're made up with our five senses, our legs, hands, everything we are, would, would celebrate, would get excited? So to me, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me said, look, you go right on with this. And you know what's interesting is the word for this week. We've been talking, so that those of you that haven't been here, we've been talking about the Hebrew words for praise. And in the Bible, there's many words for praise, probably over 40 to 50 or so different Hebrew words that are all used in the praise and worship uh, category. But we've been talking about seven predominant Hebrew words that are all, there are seven different words, but they're all translated into one English word, and that's praise. So here you have seven completely different words with different definitions and meanings, all translated into the same word. So we've been digging in to find out how do we seek God? How do we approach God? How do we as a congregation, a church, worship him and what can we learn from that? So we've been looking at these words. And I want you to, I want you to think about what worship is. And anyone here of C.S. Lewis? Yeah. C.S. Lewis was a great author. In the, he was born in the really late 1800s and into the 60s of, of 1900s. And C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation of it. So it's praise that completes the joy of whatever you're enjoying. If you love something or get something new, me and my wife were just talking about this on the way up, when we got a new dog, Sven, Right? And we're, we're excited. And so what do you do when you're enjoying something? You share it. You talk about it. You get other people to talk, right? When you fall in love, what do you do, Mike? Tell everybody about it. You tell everybody about it. You have a celebration. You're excited. So you start, anything you enjoy naturally, the, the, the way to complete that enjoyment is to talk about it and praise it. And so C.S. Lewis had a deep insight into that. And I want us to review really quickly and then we're going to spend the last 15 minutes of service today actually celebrating what Christ did. Amen? So let's, let's keep that in our mind, that we're going to celebrate. we got a few songs. The worship team is going to come up in a few minutes. And we're going to celebrate Christ's resurrection. And what's interesting is the word that we're going to, the new word for today, you'll be surprised. What just naturally came up, not planned. So the first word we talked about was the Hebrew word todah. And if you have your notes and your bulletin, you can follow along with us. If not... Just listen. So todah was a heart of sacrifice and hands facing up. You see in the Hebrew, the, the Hebrews always had word pictures with their words a lot of the times. And so in Hebrew, todah means hands, palms open as, as you're offering a sacrifice to God. And so it was a heart of sacrifice that we bring to God. Remember, it was an act of our will that we have to choose to worship God. It's not a natural thing our flesh wants to do because our flesh and spirit are at war. The spirit is willing. The Bible says the flesh is weak. The spirit wants the things of God. The flesh wants to please itself. So you have to make that choice. And I said, okay, God, well, how does that fit in there? Well, that's a pretty obvious one of how that fits with the resurrection. Todah is a sacrifice. And Jesus, as an act of worship to his father, became 
the literal sacrifice for us. John 10, 17 says this, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. That's what Jesus talking. And Jesus said, I freely lay down my life in Todah, in the praise of God, saying, God, I am a living sacrifice to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we become the living sacrifice, right? We follow in that same suit. So as you see, we're starting to see the resurrection in praise and worship, in the acts of worship of God. So Todah was a heart of sacrifice and Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice. The second word we looked at was yada. And yada was an interesting word because yad means to throw or cast forth your hands like this. And when you added A-H on the end or J-A-H on the end of the word, it always meant towards God. So yad, ah, meant hands thrusted towards God. And a heart, this we looked at as being a heart of surrender. Hands extended high, worshiping guide, a surrender to God, you know, this is the national sign of surrender, right? But not only was it the national sign of surrender, it was also a sign of, Daddy, pick me up. You ever had your little kids come up to you, right? Daddy, pick me up. Nothing like that feeling in all the earth. So we see Yada, and I said, okay, Lord, what is this? How does this relate to the resurrection? And he said, my son died in the, statu in the stature of Yada. He lifted up his hands to Christ, and he was nailed to a tree in the actual praise form of yada. He gave up, he surrendered his life for you and me. He worshiped God by becoming your substitute. You and me should have been on that cross. We deserve death because of the sin in our life. Every man, every woman deserves death because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of the grace of Christ, he yadad for us, he worshiped, he gave up his flesh. His flesh, do you think his flesh wanted to do this? No. When we come into church, do you think our flesh naturally wants to lift your hands? No, a lot of us are afraid. A lot of us fear what other people think. A lot of us are shy and don't wanna do that in front of people. But I'm telling you, you're Jesus. He did this for you. Amen. He lifted his hands. He died. He stretched forth his hands to God and said, God, I surrender. So he died, heart of sacrifice. Luke 23, 33 says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his left and right. They nailed him to a tree in the form of Yada. The next word we looked at was Shibak. In a shibak, we looked at that word, it really talks about shouting, about God's greatness. It means proclaiming loudly. And we, we talked about what that meant in our hearts. And shibak really talks about the form of praise that is, talks about a heart being sold out. Sold out for God. You're not concerned about what anyone else thinks. You're beginning in this process of entering into the presence of God to not care about others anymore, but more getting your focus and your eyes on God and off of the opinions of man. Who in this room would like to be totally free from what other people think about them? Yeah. All right, so there's, there, yeah, I'm with you. I think we all have that. John 19.30 says this, then when he had received the sour wine, Jesus said, it is completed. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. 
And if you look in that in the Greek, he shouted that. I said, okay, God, I see what you're saying. So he was on the cross in Yada, and Shibach, the Lord, he declared out loud, Lord, it's finished. He was declaring God's plan done. He was declaring it not, look, people were saying, if you can save yourself, Jesus, why don't you come down off that cross? And he, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. But it is finished. He yelled it out. He proclaimed with a loud voice. That was the praise of Shebach that he did for us. Then look, we go on further and we looked at Zamir, which, which was about a heart that is steadfast. A heart that actually, Zamar really talked about what we have up here, stringed instruments. The word Zamar means to pluck the string, to talk and to sing. And actually, in that word also means to dance too. You can do pluck the string while you're dancing. It's a celebratory word. It's a heart that is steadfast on the Lord. It's an immovable one. It's a one that has its eyes fixed on Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. It says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for you and me, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne. I want you to focus in on that, that Jesus had a steadfast heart. He was fixed on the cross on accomplishing what God has done. And in Zemir, his heart was steadfast and he worshiped God by going to the cross and being steadfast and not letting anything deter him. All right, God, I see what you're saying. Jesus really was a worshiper, wasn't he? He worshiped with his whole life. And then last week we looked at Barak, which means to bend the knee. It really talks about a heart fully yielded to God. This is the part in praise and worship when we come together as a congregation and we start to worship him where we actually, it's not a forced knee bend. When you're captured and someone's got you and they bring you before the king, they throw you on the floor, kick your legs out, and make you bend your knee. But this isn't this praise word. This praise word is a willing bending of the knee. It's your heart saying, God, I am yielded to you. My heart is fully yielded to you. And I begin to think of Jesus. And when he said this in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. You see, Jesus went to the cross and said, he was going to the cross. He knew it was coming even that night in the next few days. And he said, Lord, take this cup from me. But then he said the most powerful words, I think, of all time. He said, yet not my will, but your will be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus in the flesh, his flesh, he was fully man and fully God. And he had all the same uh, temptations that we have. Hebrews tells us that Jesus had every temptation we have. And he went through everything that you and me go through. But yet without sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to put down his flesh. And say God I don't want to do this. This is going to be tough. But you know what? Not what I want. But what you want. And Barach. The, word, the Hebrew word for worship there. Is really a heart yielded. And Jesus praised his father by yielding his life to the cross. And I said, wow, Lord, these are intense words when you think of them in the cross perspective. And he said, yeah, Doug, and then what's next? Well, that was going to be our next word in our series without any planning. And the next word, the Hebrew word is halal. It's a word translated praise about a hundred times in the Bible. It's one of the most used words for praise. 
It's also the root word for hallelujah. Halal is the word we're going to talk about today. We're going to get the chance actually to practice this word. Psalms 34, 2 and 3 says this, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. My soul makes its halal in the Lord. My soul makes its boast, my halal in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. A Bible commentary defines halal in this way. Listen to this definition of this word, halal. A word translated praise and also used in the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Halal, and then when you add, remember A-H on the end of the word, to God. So praise the Lord or praise God. He says this, halal, used a hundred times, it means this, to be boastful, to brag, to shout with excitement and triumph. It's a word of excitement, exuberance, exultation, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Look how it's used, uh, how blessed are those who dwell in thy house. They are ever praising thee. Psalms 84.4, this will be written in the generations to come that the people yet to be created may halal the Lord. Listen to what Ron Allen said in one of his books called A Matter of Life. He wrote a book on praise and he says it's a matter of life and breath. Life and breath. He says, halal is the Hebrew word equivalent of whatever you say when you are watching a football game and your team has just scored the winning points. That's what that word meant in Hebrew. The word is what a nursing student says in coming out of an anatomy exam with an A grade when she has struggled very hard to complete the course. That's when you halal. This is the word of any experience calling for excited boasting or joyful expression. And God said, now do you see where this word fits in resurrection? Oh, yeah. Wow, God. Halal is the resurrection praise word. It's to boast on the Lord, to be so excited because our Jesus scored the winning touchdown. Our Jesus got an A plus on his exam when all of us couldn't pass the test. He passed it for us. And because he did that, we halal the Lord. We go crazy. We triumph. We're exuberant praise. We don't care what anyone's thinking. We get excited because that's the natural response. With the word praise halal, this is where in our uh, journey of worship that we transfer into effortless praise. It's in your notes there. With the praise halal, you transfer into effortless praise. If you recall those first few words we talked about, those took work, right? Bending the knee, making a sacrifice, lifting your hands, doing stuff your flesh doesn't want to do, choosing to worship God, proclaiming his name, doing stuff that's not comfortable to your flesh. But then when you get to this word halal, you've kind of gotten past all that, and you're now entering into this freedom where you don't have, there, there's no effort exerted anymore. It just becomes a pure response or, or some of who you are at that stage in it. Are you with me? Yeah. So halal becomes the natural, effortless praise. It becomes easier and easier. 
You see, praise is the natural result of enjoyment. Anything you enjoy, as we talked about before, I want to tell you and go on what C.S. Lewis said about this. Listen to this. This is, he writes in the kind of the older English, but listen. C.S. Lewis wrote a book on, he called it the problem of praise in the Psalms. He had an issue with the Psalms and he was trying to figure it out and God was revealing to him. He said this, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of praise in terms of a compliment to God or approval or giving honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. So our joy for the Lord naturally will combust into praise unless we allow shyness, fear of man, what people think, to come in and check us and say, oh no, you can't do that. Oh no, they'll think this of you. Don't you dare lift your hands. You know who's saying that is the enemy. The enemy of our soul church wants to keep us from um, completing our enjoyment about God with praise. If you enjoy God and what he did today, the natural thing for you should be to praise him to speak, to sing, to dance, to shout, to lift your hands to, oh my gosh, God, you, you score the winning touchdown. Now I no longer have to spend an eternity in hell. That's good news. Amen. The natural response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be abandoned, shameless, exuberant, shouting with excitement, praise. That's what should be the natural um, sum to that. But however, before we get to our hallelujah praise that we're going to implement right now, at the rivers, we try really hard to practice what we preach. And so when we teach and learn from God's word, we just don't say, oh, that was a cute little message. Let's go get coffee. (laughs) We actually hear, and we're not good at, we're not perfect at it. We're going to get better at it, including all of us, me too. We want to read God's word and put it into action. We don't want to just read and let it come in one ear or out the other and just go live our life. No, we want to be changed and transformed by God. So before we get to this hallelujah praise, I want to give you the whole truth about really the praise of the resurrection. Because too many churches today are giving you part of the story. And I'm not bagging on any church. I'm just saying the Americanized church hasn't been giving us the full, complete gospel. And I want to make sure today that everyone in this room leaves today knowing exactly what God is expecting of you in result of him being raised from the dead, and we're remembering that today. If Jesus was raised actually today, this morning, it was the same responsibility that each of us have to respond to his resurrection We have to respond, church. It's not just a cool thing that he did. We have to respond to it. We have to give our answer for what our life is going to do, what our heart's going to choose, and how we're going to live our life in response to his resurrection. His resurrection just didn't give you a free pass out of hell so you could live your life any way you want and then end up not in hell at the end of the day. Are you with me? 
The resurrection requires a response from you to turn away and to seek God and to make him the Lord of your life. So I want to give you five quick things and then we're going to worship. Number one, you must be saved. You must be born again, church. In response to his resurrection, you must be saved. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which you must be saved. Jesus is the only way. You must go through the door gate of Jesus. You must submit your life. You must be born again with Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. You've got to be saved. You've got to give your life to him. And it's not a one-time act, church. Too many churches preach that, get saved, yeah, you're good, just live your life. No. Salvation is the beginning point of a life change. It's the beginning of making Jesus your Lord. It is the beginning of a daily walk with Christ. It's a daily dying to yourself and submitting all who you are to him Every single day, the Bible says, those who endure to the end will be saved. I want, to, I want you guys to know the truth. Too many churches, oh, raise your hand and ask Jesus in your heart and you're good. That's one part of it, but that's just the beginning part of it. Jesus requires you to be born again. Number two, you must live for him. You must live every day for him. Number two, you must live for him. Acts 2.37 now, when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard Peter preaching. They are all speaking in tongues. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit time. The church is birthing right now, Acts 2.37. And Peter said to them, brothers, or they said to the apostles and Peter, what shall we do? They just heard this message. Oh my gosh, what, what do we need to do? What must we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Yes. You must live for him. You must turn away from your sin. Repenting is sinning and saying, that's not who I am. Turning and not sinning anymore. Will you stumble? Yeah, we all do. You might fall, but when you fall, we have an advocate with the Father. And he says, if you confess your sin, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So once you repent, you change your thinking about what you were doing and you realize this is death. I'm not going to do this anymore. I repent. God, help me. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. He empowers you to walk towards him, to be transformed into righteousness. And when you fumble and stumble, you stumble, you go, God, what did I do? You get right back up and you keep walking this way. You don't fall and then start walking back this way. You fall, you get up, you repent, and you seek the Lord God. You change your life. You must live for him, church. You have got to give your whole life to him. God does not tolerate second place in your life. It's all him or nothing. If you think you can give God a portion of your life and live however you want, you are missing salvation. You are missing the gift of God, and you are missing the purpose and the response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands all of you, your whole heart, church, I'm a little passionate about this because I don't want anyone to go to hell. And especially, my heart doesn't want people that think they're Christians 
going to hell. Because there's a lot of Christians. Jesus said this on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many will say to me, hey, we, we did Christian stuff in your name. We preached the gospel. We cast out demons. We healed the sick. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. You did a lot of stuff, but you never knew me. This is eternal life that they might know him. You've got to know God. Church, and I don't, I don't know if you've been saved for I want you to be sure today and surrender your life and live for him. Number three, you must be ready. One is you must be saved. Two, you must live for him. Three, you must be ready, church. A response to the, a response to the, um, oh, what did I do here? <laughs> a response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that you're ready because he is coming back. Yes. Amen? Jesus is coming back for you. Matthew 24, 42 says this. Well, this, I did some major damage. All right. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in part, in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house get broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are you with me? He is coming at an hour you do not expect. You must be ready. Number four, you must give an account. This is where it gets tough. Judgment is coming, church. Oh, but I thought Jesus covered all my sins. I thought the cross did it. I could just do whatever I want and it would all be good. You're going to give an account, church. Number four, you must give an account. Romans 14, 11 says this, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue will confess. So then each one of us will give an account for himself to God. There is a day where you will stand before the Lord and give an account for what you did on this earth. You will have to give an account for how your mouth spoke words out, how you treated other people, how you stewarded the gifts that God's given you, your time, your talents, and your treasures, the monies you made, the things you're gifted to do. Did you use them for the Lord? You will have to answer to him yourself. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I, I will. If that's what works, if that's what gets you to understand that this Christian life is not something that you can get a trophy and put on your shelf and then do whatever you want with your life. This Christian life is about surrender to God. It's about a complete abandonment of self and a total bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. But one day, church, you're gonna stand before the Lord and he's gonna look at your life and he's gonna do video replay of your life. And you're gonna walk through and look at that with the Lord Jesus. And you're gonna have to give an account for what you did. Oh, but, but I'm, I'm all covered. Well, just make sure when you fall, you repent. If you repent and get up, yeah, you are covered by the Lord Jesus. But you're still going to have to give an account. 
So I wanted to give you those four points because those are a must. These are stuff you have to do. There's, there's no option with God. It's not me. This is God's word speaking to you. And number five is you get. Now it's not a must anymore. Because of all that transformation, change, and heart change, you get to hallelujah. You get to halal the Lord. You get to boastfully brag in him and celebrate him because he's enabled you and empowered you because of the resurrection to live a victorious life for him. God, by his grace, empowers you to live a holy life. God, by his grace and his power of his word, enables you to live right. And if you abandon your heart to him and you give everything to him, he will help you and enable you to do that. So today, church, as we close and the worship team comes on up, I want you to consider where you're at. I want you to consider if your heart is at a state of halal or hallelujah. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to stand before him and give an account for everything you've done and said? Are you ready to stand? Are you ready to give an account before Jesus? I want you to be ready, church, and today's a great day to either maybe for the first time invite Christ into your life and make him the Lord of your life, or today might be a perfect day for you to repent and turn from that. Turn from your way. Turn from your self-centeredness. Turn from the, the, you being on the throne of your life and not God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you today, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity from the resurrection to worship you. Lord, so we, we still have plenty of time, so Lord, we just give you the next few minutes, the next 10, 15 minutes, God, we want to halal you, Lord. We want to celebrate you. We want to thank you for who you are. We want to praise you, God. And Lord, we don't want to go into this worship right now without making sure our hearts are right before you. So Lord, I ask, I ask for anyone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior to give you the opportunity to know him for the very first time. And if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Doug, I don't know him. I've never really truly made Jesus the Lord of my life. Yeah, I believe in him. I, I think he's real, but I never made him Lord. There's a big difference between believing in God and making him the Lord of your life. And if that's you this morning and you'd say, Pastor Doug, I want to pray with you right now and, and I want to make sure that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't want to get to heaven and have my name not be there. Well, I can guarantee your name being in there right now if you want to confess and repent and turn and be born again today. If that's you, I want you just to slip up your hand and we're going to pray. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, yeah, that's me, Pastor Doug. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want a new life. I want a new chance at life. I see that hand. Anybody else? I see two more. Anyone else would say, I want to make sure that I'm saved. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life going forward. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see your hand. I see your hand. Come on, guys. It's resurrection day. This is your day. If you're feeling a, a, a strange feeling in your stomach area and in your chest, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's bringing conviction, which is a beautiful thing, to tell you to turn your life over to God. Anyone else? 
So we're all going to pray together, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to repeat after me after we, uh, uh, as we pray. Heavenly Father, all of us together. Heavenly Father, I confess you as Lord. I thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. I confess that I've sinned. I've messed up, God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I repent and I turn away from my sin and I turn to you today and I ask you to be my Lord. I'm in charge of myself no longer. Jesus, I put you on the throne this morning. You are my Lord. And I thank you for dying for me. Help me live a life for you. Fill me with your spirit right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church, if you were one of those people that raised your hand and you prayed that prayer and you prayed it from here, from your heart, and you meant that, you right now, <laughs> heaven is rejoicing. Amen. Actually, you know what heaven's singing right now? Halal. They're singing halal right now, which is hallelujah, which is, hey, Jesus won again. Because he won again, he scored the winning touchdown in your heart. And that's what matters. So church, would you join Chris and the worship team as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Would you stand with me right now and let's just sing and, and give God praise and just express yourself to him. Don't be afraid of who's around you or what anyone is thinking, but let's just take a few moments to tell God how much we love him and how much we're thankful for what he's done.